the misconception in medicine is you have to be the smartest person. And there are some smart people doing this for sure, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort there. Different between professional athletes and other people are like, yeah, you can be really good at baseball. You can be really good at, at watching fastballs come down the middle and hit it. But the people who are different are the ones who practice all the time. And that elevates yourself. Welcome to Professional Profiles, a podcast where I interview industry experts to understand their jobs, learn about their journeys to success, and uncover the strategies they've used to find it. So thank you so much for talking with us today. Of course. So if you were to give a simplified elevator pitch about your job to someone, what would you say? For this kind of job, if you like to see people, you like to interact with people, um, it's a great opportunity I get to meet on a clinic day, an average of 40 or so people a day, plus the staff I interact with. So it's very much a people person job. The benefits of the job are um, you get to get people, people better. And so if you have someone who comes to you and has an injury and has a joint issue, a joint pain, and they come and see you, and then uh, you take them through the treatment plan and they get better, they're extremely satisfied patients, and they definitely will convey that to you. So it's definitely a people person job, not without its frustrations, of course, but satisfied patients make it all worth it for sure. What were you interested in in school? So um, my, my dad was in construction for a while. And so um, I got to know the medicine side of kind of um, the professions um, through my dad's friends. And so my dad, on, on, during the summers, this was a construction style job for me. So I was working on, as a mechanic on, on trucks. Um, I gradually kind of knew that wasn't for me. And then I met a bunch of my dad's friends who are just various types of physicians, my mom's friends too. And so I gradually kind of migrated to medicine through them. Um, but when I was in, in high school, I think I was still kind of shopping around a fair amount. In college, I kind of got a little more focused because in college, you choose a, you don't have to, but you need to choose a, uh, a major that kind of gears you more towards testing for the uh, medical school application process. So in college, I forgot I wanted to do medicine for sure and got more serious about it at that point. So what level of schooling did you need? So for medicine, you got to obviously finish college. And then after that, um, you go to med school and med school is four years. And then um, after that, depends on what you want to do in medicine. But for orthopedics, it's five years of residency. Um, that includes a one-year internship, which is the first year of residency, and then a one-year fellowship. So it's 10 years after college. What was your residency like? Uh, it's a lot of work. So when I was starting, they had just changed over. Um, there used to be kind of no rules about how long they made you work. Or I'm afraid how long you got to work. Um, and when I started, they were just kind of changing it to a more controlled uh, 80 hour work week. So um, it, it was very busy, a lot of drinking from the fire hose when you first start. But, uh, you know, honestly, looking back at that time, even though it's uh, it's a lot of work and you're tired a lot and you're working overnight sometimes, um, I think you really want that volume. You want to have that stress. You want to have that that fire hose mentality because once you get out of practice, um, if you don't have a good experience and you aren't well educated and, and um, had a lot of repetitions, that can be challenging. What did it teach you? Definitely taught me to be humble because what happens is when you, as you go through schooling, you know, there are people who have good grades and bad grades. And so you kind of separate yourself out at some point that way. And then you get to residency and you realize that, you know, you, you know a couple months before that you were a senior in college and kind of ran the, you know, ran the show there. And you get in residency and you're back to being the, the low man on the totem pole immediately. And everyone makes you very well aware you are the low man on the totem pole. So you got to you gotta be a yes guy because they're going to ask you to do stuff that you don't want to do necessarily because you're tired. Um, it also helps you to 
get a good work ethic because if you're not, if you don't work hard in residency, um, if you don't spend time after you go home reading and learning and watching videos and asking questions, doing research, then you will not do well. It also taught me kind of my limits of, or how I feel when I'm too tired to work still. So if you, you work all night long, the next day you can kind of sense, you get a sense of what your body's saying, now's the time to go home. <laughs> it's not time to keep working now. So you kind of learn your limits and it teaches you to really, um, it, it's a complex field. I mean, there's a lot to learn in five years and I'm missing. Most, most things you learn in residency are very useful. So you can tell it's just, it's five years. There's no summer holiday. So it's 12 months of the year and there's a lot to learn. So it's, uh, it'll teach you that there's, the body is complicated, but it, it is, it is doable. How did you stay motivated through that long period of time? Yeah, you got to see the light in the tunnel for sure. You got to see that, Hey, I'm an intern now and, and it, it's, it's a lot of work. And then that you see like the, the twos and the threes and the fours and the chief residents, they're all more and more knowledgeable or more and more educated and better and better surgeons. So you see the, Hey, this, there is, there is improvement I'm going to see here. Um, and then also, um, you, you see your attendings of people who teach you and you see they, they have fantastic jobs in most situations and like their job and have fun doing it. And then that's the main thing you just got to keep in mind. It, it, there's a, it ends in five years. Um, and so there was a light in that tunnel. Could you speak to some of the challenges you faced on your journey, how you overcame them and what you learned through them? Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the major, just obvious challenges, it takes, it takes a long time. So, you know, I had friends who, um, we finished college together and then, um, they went on and got jobs and you know, they were three, four, five years in their job, having kind of relatively mature jobs. And I was still just halfway done with school still. So they would jokingly, uh, kiddingly make fun of me about how I'm always, I'm going to take tests the rest of my life, which is partly true. So I'm taking tests and had to miss, you know, friends' weddings because I had big tests come up the, you know, the week afterwards for med school and for residency. It takes a long time. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, there's light in the tunnel. Um, and, and so it does end at some point. So you just got to look, look forward there. I think a, a challenge in training and even now, and that's going to persist forever is just staying on top of what's going on in sport, the sports medicine world. It changes a lot. There's a lot of smart guys doing a lot of good research. There's a lot of new uh, techniques, uh, new implants. There's all this stuff that's always new coming down the pipeline. So if you think you're done learning after residency, uh, it'll be challenging to stay ahead of what's going on. I think another problem that you, you noticed in residency and even now it's tricky is uh, work-life balance. There's different ways and there's different positions. And so people approach it differently. M myself, I have a hard time turning it off when I go home. So when, when I go home and I'm finished you know, working for the day, and my wife could attest this as well. You know, I'm responding to emails. I'm looking over MRIs. You know, my day doesn't stop when I go home. And so work-life balance is hard. Having kids kind of somewhat forces you to kind of reset a little bit because you have obligations now outside of your work. But uh, work-life balance is hard in residency, and it's going to continue to be hard for a while. How important is it to face adversity in your career? What does it teach you? Yeah, no, I think it's important if you coast through um, the whole time through – you know, school and training and stuff. And then you in the real world, you've never been tested. Uh, there, there's, there's no chance that you won't face that issue you know, when you're in practice, if you haven't faced it before that. So I think learning how to, how to, how to have that problem, how to address it and how to, especially in surgery to, to maintain kind of your, your cool and, and stay calm. If you don't learn that during training or during your life in, in the real world, it'll absolutely come to get you. So I think just experiencing is important, noticing how you react to it. And then, like I said, especially in the surgical world, it happens in the OR all the time where uh, a piece of, you know, an implant breaks or there's a screwdriver missing from the set. So you don't have a screwdriver you need and, and how you respond to that. And if you haven't practiced it before, 
it's not fun to learn it while you're in the middle of surgery. Right. So you were speaking earlier about how the sports medicine field is constantly changing. How do you stay current and adapt to changes in your industry to continue achieving success? There's a lot of different ways to do that. The easiest way um, is to um, get journal articles. And so every orthopedic journal, there's there's tons of them. I subscribe to two of the top ones because if you just get every journal sent to you, it's just volume overload. You don't have time to deal with it. So so read journal articles. And these articles are going over. A, here's a research a study that got published that shows us different ways to fix orthopedic tears or different ways to rehab an ACL tear. So reading journal articles is easy. There are also um, there's a ton of societies to join, so you can go to society meetings. The way our um, specialty runs, just like in law school too, my wife's a lawyer, so I've seen it on her side too, you're required to maintain an active license. And by doing that, you have to have CME, which is continuing medical education credits. And so if you say, I, I don't want to read articles, I don't want to go to meetings, well, they're, they're going to kind of force you to do something like that to maintain your, your, your credentialing. And so um, we're required to get a certain number, and that's a number you have to get in 10 years. It's absolutely doable. I think if you did just the minimum, you'd be underprepared for what's happening in the real world. But my wife has to do CLE, continuing legal education as well. So that's not unique to our specialty. Um, and you can also uh, do research. I think research is a great way to stay abreast of what's going on because it kind of forces you to review the articles because if you don't know what's been researched, um, you have no idea what, what needs to be researched. And so nothing's worse than starting a research study, you're know, getting deep into it, and then finding the exact same study someone already did before. So it's obviously a massive waste of, of your time at that point. So research uh, – and also research allows us to – allows me to connect with other people too, to be able, other people who do what I do. And so I can do a research project. I'm doing a couple right now. Um, and so now I have these contacts all over the U.S. I can lean on and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm five, six years into practice. These guys are 15, 20 years into practice. And so I can do research with them and lean on them and say, hey, in this scenario, what would you do outside of the research study? But just ask them questions about my, my, my specialty. Were you interested in science, technology, engineering, and math, so STEM, during your primary education? Which I had a sweet answer, like, yes, I was. I, I, mean, I think I, I enjoyed that part of it, you know. I think I, mm-hmm. um, I'm definitely not a writer. Definitely not, you know, a poet, that's for sure. But I think the, so the kind of the more the hard sciences were more appealing to me. I was a biology major in undergrad. Um, I, I enjoy biology. I enjoy working in the lab. Um, I think also once you decide you want to go to med school, you kind of, you kind of need to start heading that direction with your education anyway. But, but in high school, I think I enjoyed math and science a lot more than I enjoyed literature and, and those um, subjects. Can you talk about a long-term goal you're working towards and how do you plan to achieve it? Yeah, I think that to get back to what I mentioned earlier, I think my one of my bigger goals right now and one of the challenges um, is just like I mentioned earlier about the work-life balance. So I'm still relatively young in my practice. I'm still trying to hustle. And so I do a lot of research. I'm a consultant for a company. I'm a medical director for a couple different companies. So it's, it's a lot of stuff I do. And some of the more senior guys in my group, they basically did that too when they were younger and kind of, kind of uh, settled out into what they'd like their practice to be eventually. So my, my my goal is to have a very active clinical practice and still and also have a couple little side you know, gigs going on as well, but also balance that better than I do now with my uh, with my family life. How important is it to set goals? I think it's I think it's useful. I think a lot of it's personality based, right? I think that I'm not a, I would say I'm not overall a big goal person. I don't think I, I'm not like a New Year's resolution kind of guy. You know, I think to have a general trend of where you want your life to go or what you want to do 
for me works better than a hard goal. I think I'd just, uh, if I couldn't meet the goal, I think my disappointment would be, <laughs> would be crushing to me, you know? And so I think I'd rather just kind of set overall trends. I think goals are, are general ideas of where you want your life to head. That's kind of how I would phrase it for me. It's super important. Right? I mean, I think if you don't have a plan, not that you have to have your plan when you're 16 years old, but if you don't have a general idea of where you want to go and continually modify that plan, I think you you might lose some focus sometimes. How can you go about trying to find something that you want to do, finding a passion? Yeah, I think just try everything. This is the balance that we have with my kids. You know, we're at um, flag football today. My son does not like flag football. So he's like, why did you do this? And I'm like, well, it's good to try it, right? It's good to see what else is out there. And it turns out he might not like to play football, which from his brain point of view is probably the best option. So I think, <laughs> and I think you, 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 you want to try everything. I think while med school can be inefficient at times, there's a lot of stuff I saw in med school, which is not useful at all in my daily practice now. I think I saw not just orthopedics, I saw every different specialty. And so you kind of see what else is out there. Um, you experience different things. Like I said, I, I was a mechanic for a couple summers when I was growing up. I saw the business side of, of running a construction company. So I, I think I saw that stuff and it wasn't for me. And I shouted a bunch of different physicians on non orthopedics to figure out what you want to do. You, you just got to see things and you, you might say, Hey, I mean, I'll use me as an example. I probably saw 15, 20 different professions um, including my family's uh, stuff, and I chose one of them. So it's not—it's a very inefficient way, but I think you do need to see everything else that's out there. How can one stand out in your field? I think just to be a good physician is not—is not enough. And I would say, a good physician, like an educated physician, uh, come to work on time physician. Like I think that that's—that's that's expectation, that, but that does not set you apart. I think to to be, and it depends on what your goals are with that too, right? If you're going to say service of a part uh, locally and that could be joining with some local societies that could be going to, you know, meet and greets and happy hours and meeting all the local physicians this way. And, and you know, basically be a well-known local name. Um, you do things differently than you wouldn't, you'd spend no time going to national meetings because that serve no purpose for you. I think if you, if your goal is to become a well-known physician outside of Austin or wherever you live, then you need to do more stuff like research, go to national meetings, um, but also say yes to opportunities locally as well. So, so, so people can say, hey, you want to give a presentation on you know, leg pain and athletes. You know, say yes to that opportunity because that's the way that you get, you get yourself in front of people. Uh, people will recognize your name that way. Um, I think if you – I just think if you only just want to be a good doctor and take good care of people and there's nothing wrong with that, then I think you, you will not – you won't be you, you won't be uh, special in that in that model. So after you find a passion to make it a career, you need to put in the time. The idea of devoting ten thousand hours in your field to become an expert became popularized by Malcolm Gladwell in his book Outliers. You've definitely completed your ten thousand hours, but would you agree with this rule? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's no shortcuts here. I think that um, you could argue you can compress, you know, med school compress residency some maybe and, and maybe make it not. 10 years. But I think if you, in any profession, it takes a long time to climb to the top unless you're, unless you're very lucky um, or extremely special. So I think that, um, you know, every physician in my shoes has gone through the exact same thing. And I have some very talented, very skilled um, expert surgeons I work with and they all did the same thing I did. So I think, especially in medicine that you're required <laughs> to put in your, we'll call it 10,000 hours, you know, because you can't just skip residency and come out and start operating on people, you know, but, um, I think in other fields too, that would apply. As a parent, how do you balance the demands of your professional and personal life to achieve success? Yeah, that's my, that's my struggle right there. 
that's the balance. So, um, when I'm, when I'm home, I'm home. And that's, that's, by that I mean, when I'm home, I try not to be on my phone. I try not to respond to texts. I try not to check my email. I try to be focused on them. And, and kids are smart. Kids notice that kind of stuff too. And definitely my wife does. But if, if you're, if your kid's talking to you and you zone out for a second, they're going to call you pretty quick, pretty quick on that one. They're going to let you know. Um, so I think w- when you're home, be home and not just physically, but also mentally be there. Um, and I try to do a lot of work after hours too. And by that, I mean, when my kids go to sleep, so when my kids go to sleep at, you know, eight or so, then I open my computer back up, knock out some emails, um, until my wife's done with her stuff. And then she and I have, you know, watch a show, or whatever we do at the, at the end of the day. So I think when you're here, when you're home, be home, when you're at work, try to be efficient. How important is it to be good at dealing with people in your profession? Uh, I think if you're not good at dealing with people in this world, you're, you're in trouble. I think you'll, cause all day long, interact with people and you got to be able to read them. So like I said, if I have clinic, I'm seeing 40 to 45 people a day in clinic and no one's coming to see me in clinic because they're having a great day. Right? So everyone's coming to see me because they, they fell and broke their shoulder or they tore their ACL or they tore their rotator cuff. And so they're not coming to see me and no one's, I, I, I semi joke and say, how are you doing today? Everyone's miserable. Everyone's hurting. Everyone's having a bad day. People are out of work, they're losing money, they're about to go on a trip and they, they can't because they're injury. So everyone's in a bad mood. Um, initially when you meet them, of course, later on, hopefully that goes away, but early on they are. And so if you can't read people, if you can't, you know, get a sense of what the patients want from you, some people you get a sense, you walk in the room and say, this person's going to be hard to deal with. I got to spend some time with them. Or this patient is very cut and dry. They want an, they want one more to answer and they want to move on and get this thing done. They're very, very mechanical. Um, and then you got to deal with staff, um, and our staff works their tail off so they can get stressed. Sometimes you got to deal with surgery center staff, same story, often overworked and, um, stressed out. Um, so if you're, if you're, if you're in medicine, you're dealing with people, it's extremely important to be able to deal with them. Well, if you're a radiologist, for example, and you sit in a room and you read x-rays, MRIs and CT scans all day long, like you don't, you don't ever see or talk to a patient ever. So there are fields within medicine like radiology, like pathology, that it, you, you need to deal with people not at all because your job is just talking to a microphone all day long and look at slides. And so uh, orthopedics is definitely a people-person type job. And, and you can see that too because myself and all my colleagues are very outgoing people. Like there's no, you, don't, you, don't, you won't meet many or any nerdy introvert orthopedic surgeons because all day long we're talking to people, you know, and all my, all my colleagues and I, we all – have Christmas parties together. We'll go out and get beers together, play golf together. Orthopedics, especially orthopedics attracts outgoing people. What are your strategies for dealing with clients or patients? Uh, well, I think that the majority of people are easy to deal with. Majority of people understand like the interaction that's about to occur. They come in, they're hurting. I, I can't make them magically better immediately. There's no you know, magic injection we have that I'm aware of at least. So you read the room. I think some people can't be made happy and you have to kind of accept that also. I, I worked at, um, my dad had a, uh, a barbecue restaurant when we were growing up. I think I was probably middle school or so, maybe, maybe, maybe high school, but I was a bus boy and we were just getting started at the restaurant. And so we did a lot of comment cards. So we'd have, you know, how was the food? How was the service? You know, how was the facility? That kind of stuff. And, um, I would, my, one of my jobs, I was the low man on totem pole for sure. So my job was to collect those cards and kind of look over them. And like some of them are useless or not filled out, you know, but a lot of them were. And kind of my impression of that time in my life, and it applies to, to medicine and probably just life in general, is that I, I'm biased, of course. I thought we had pretty good food. 
Well, the barbecue is really good. I mean, I ate way too much barbecue when I was working there, um, as did my family. And, and so I thought it was good, and we were very busy. Lines at the door during lunch, kind of busy. So most people like the food. And so after looking at all these um, comment cards, and if you have a good product, which I think we had at that point, I think I have now in medicine too, uh, about 80% of people like really like it. Like they're happy, their plate's clean, they leave a good review or a good comment card for you. Um, and then about 15% of people like didn't like it, but weren't like mad about it. They just didn't like it for whatever reason. They're like, oh, I'd, the food was okay. You know, instead of a one out of five star, they give you a three down the middle or something like that. You know, uh, and then a 5% of people were just really unhappy. Um, like we got comments like this food's not edible for a dog kind of thing. Um, and same thing in my practice now. Some people I, I, I do, I think I take good care of people just like my colleagues do and provide good service, give them logical rationales or explanations as to why we're doing what we're doing. Some people have complications. Some people do very well. So, I mean, I think it's a mixed bag, but some people just aren't, are not going to be happy. And so I think those kind of people, you can see these people coming a mile away. You meet them for a second. You think no matter what I do, good or bad, this person's going to be unhappy. And so you learn how to, how to understand that person and how to, when you see that person start talking or start making their responses, their facial expressions, you, you just key on that. And then you just, you spend more time with them. You're less aggressive with them. You, you, you do, do less sometimes rather than more surgery wise too. So reading people and, and reacting accordingly makes, makes my life now a ton easier. So in the operating room, you have to be the leader of the room and work with managing work, managing other people. What qualities define a successful leader? I think in the OR, just staying calm. Things get tense sometimes. I mean, I don't, I'm not doing cardiac, you know, heart surgery. So the level of severity and the level of acuity of my, of my surgeries are less than some other people's. But um, uh, staying calm because things go wrong. Not like it doesn't change the surgery outcome, but things go wrong all the time. I mean, it, it, there's, say, an ACL reconstruction probably has 200 steps. So every step's an opportunity if something go wrong. And it could be, like I mentioned earlier, like a screwdriver's not there. You have a screw break when you're putting it in. Um, you could have, you, when you harvest your graft, the graft can come out too small. There's all these opportunities things go wrong. And so if, if you start freaking out and you're the leader, everyone else starts freaking out too. And that's not fun. Surgery in general should be a very fun experience. Like you know, overall, we have a very fun time in the OR. So and part of my job is to set the tone in the OR. If the tone is going to be, I'm in a bad mood, I'm stressed out, then everyone else is going to have a bad time too. Uh, I think that, and also just realizing that when I'm in the OR, like there's, Myself, there's a first assist, there's a scrub tech, there's a circulator, there's an anesthesiologist, there's an um, a implant rep who's bringing in implants for us to put in. So every, there's a lot of people in the OR, and everyone has value. So you could argue, I agree, I'm the captain of the ship in there, but without the implant rep, my ship's sinking. So if you don't appreciate the value everyone else is bringing, then if I don't have a circulator, I can't do the surgery. If I don't have an anesthesia, I can't do the surgery. So if I lose one of those pieces or I don't appreciate those pieces and turn them off, then it does not go well too. So you have to include everybody as part of the team because they actually are a very important part of the team. Even though I'm, if something goes wrong, it's on me, of course. But if everything goes well, then the whole team is responsible for that. As a parent, what do you teach your children about finding what they want to do in the future? Yeah, I think you give them options. I think you don't, it's not because I'm a doctor, they're going to be a doctor. Um, I give credit to my dad. You know, my dad, his grandfather started, then his dad ran it, then he ran it. And I got, I, what I think is zero pressure to take over that business at all, my brother included. He's like, hey, it's yours if you guys want it. And we worked there a lot and we were growing up just because we had something, we had something to do and made some money that way. Um, but I think it, 
for my kids too, I think that you got to give them opportunities. Would I like for them to go into medicine? Sure, if that's what their personality is like and if that's what they want to do. And um, healthcare is you know always changing, so it could be a very different healthcare system whenever they're you know in college trying to make decisions. Uh, but I think opportunities. So my kid says gets mad at me for signing up for for flag football. It's because I want to try flag football, and he may hate it, and that's fine. That applies to sports as well as job opportunities too. So I think just being open and knowing that your kids may not like what you like or may not have the personality that you have, or you definitely don't want them to be unhappy in their life or in their job. So to pressure them one way, I think is a mistake. Mm-hmm. What are some key habits or strategies you've used to overcome obstacles and achieve your goals? I mean, the simple habits just work hard. I mean, it's just, and that applies to school as well as my current life. And that applies to, I put college uh, soccer too. So I think it's, if you're not working hard, someone else going to outwork you for sure. So I think just working hard, um, trying your best to manage your time well, but also trying to balance your life outside of your job too. So I think just hard work is the easiest way or the most uh, maybe efficient way to overcome challenges and stay organized while you're doing it. Do you have any resources available or could you mention any resources available for those interested in medicine? A good resource for, for people, I think you want to see if you like the job, right? if you like the, if you like healthcare, if you, if you like that profession at all, I think the way to do that is, is to volunteer healthcare can always use volunteers and it could be at community clinics, like free community clinics for the underserved population, you know, volunteering the ER, shattering, shadowing docs in the office. So things that don't cost any money also don't make you any money because you want to get your hands dirty. You want to see like, Hey, being a doctor sounds cool. Well, you know, it's got pros and cons too. Right. And so you want to, you want to see those cons, you want to see those pros and you want to say, Hey, does this fit my personality? Because if you work at a, free clinic and you you're with the primary care doctor there and this person may may hate their job you know they may say hey this is not for me this is this is challenging this the patients are unhappy this doctor seemed to be miserable so maybe it's not just a cool job maybe it's a little bit more than that uh, so i think that a, a free resource is just your time you can volunteer to help out to see people to meet docs shadow the people because um, also you look at it from your point of view you want to learn also, if you're interviewing someone to so say, you know, in years from now, decades from now, say you're interviewing for, for med school or for residency and the interviewer is going to say, you know, why do you need a doctor? You got to have a, a story there. It can't, it can't be necessarily, oh, I broke my ankle, so I went to orthopedics. Like that's, that's a kind of a cop out, right? It's got to be, or it should be. Um, uh, yeah, I spent time in these clinics. I spent time in the ER and I loved this job. It fit my personality. The doctors I met with are really inspirational. Um, um, because then they can believe you. They'll, they'll believe you. Hey, this person actually knows so what you don't want to have happen if you're interviewing someone for a job is them to start that job, realize, oh, by the way, it turns out I hate this job, and then you bounce because you wasted everyone's time. You, you took a spot that's not yours. So it makes for any profession, especially for medicine, um, you want to know what you're getting to before you get into it, and that's by that's a way to get that is to learn by uh, volunteering. If you were to give one piece of advice surrounding your key to success. What would you say? The misconception in medicine is you have to be the smartest person. And there are some smart people doing this for sure, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort there. And so I try, and when I come home and keep working, it's because I want to keep growing my practice and being more and more successful. I mean, I'm, I'm smart. I'm not outrageously smart like that, you know, but I just work hard and you can apply it. You know, it's like people who are professional athletes, different between professional athletes and other people are like, yeah, you can be really good at baseball. You can be really good at, at watching fastballs come down the middle and hit it. But the people who are different are the ones who practice all the time. And that elevates yourself. So the same skill set coming in, 
you can you can work harder and become a much different person okay great those are all the questions i have thank you so much for your time awesome thanks charlie appreciate it thank you for joining us today if you enjoyed the show don't forget to subscribe to stay updated for future episodes my name is charlie hubbard and this has been professional profiles